So may I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the saddest things I've ever had to do as a bishop began when a church warden rang me up and said they couldn't get hold of the archdeacon because the archdeacon was on holiday. That never is a good phone call to receive. Archdeacons should never go on holiday. (laughs) But she was concerned, was this church warden, that some soil had been disturbed in the churchyard and a teddy and flowers had appeared but it wasn't a grave. And I advised that a note be left for the people who were visiting that spot to just gently ask them to be in touch. And nothing happened. So the police had to be called and a tent was put up and someone tipped it off to the media, which was far from helpful. And it was then that a young lad, a 17-year-old, came forward and explained that his girlfriend had lost their unborn baby and that the hospital had given them a little cardboard box. And they'd waited a few days, confused and tearful, and hadn't known what to do. But at dusk he had come and he'd buried that little one in the only place he felt he could, in the graveyard of their local church. It felt right, he said to me when I met him. And their story broke my heart. And it broke the heart of the church community there. And they reached out in love and had a little service and the baby was buried And they even paid for a stone to mark the spot. I'd like to say that I went on to confirm that couple, but I didn't. But I hope that when, in years to come, they think back of those days, they will have seen a Church of England parish and its clergy bringing deep compassion and love and care. Many of us who were involved, I'm sure, will never ever forget and will carry on praying for them all the days of our life. Another couple, two young people probably, perhaps just teenagers, with a vulnerability about them, came to another holy place to do the right thing. Poor parents with a poor baby. Uncouth, unkempt, some would perhaps have said. For they plunged into the bargain basement of sacrifices and all that they could afford was two doves. Not something more elaborate. Not something that more wealthy people would have bought. And two elderly people in the temple precincts watched. They'd been watching for years. 
And they saw this young couple as they scanned the crowd. And somehow, light surrounded them. Now, the Christmas lights are well and truly gone from all the shops in town and also from our homes. But today, the presentation of Christ in the temple is kind of a last turning back, a last looking over our shoulder at those lights. A last look back through the lenses of two elderly eyes trying to fathom out and then gaining great clarity as to what they were looking at. Today is the climax of all the incarnation and epiphany stories that we've been following through over the last few weeks. But today's also a pivot on the scales. It swings us now to look forward to face Lent and Holy Week and Easter. For Candlemas, the presentation of Christ in the temple is a a reality checkpoint a reality checkpoint that we can keep on looking at Jesus with a soft-focused, cosy glow. Or we can tilt, we can move forward. And that smooth, warm, rosy flesh of a baby comes into new focus for us as the sunburnt and weathered and bruised and bleeding skin of the mature Jesus, the freelance rabbi, the friend of the riffraff, the one who will attack the very temple which today makes him welcome as a baby, when he turned, turns over the tables of the money changers. And the light of the world will most luminously be seen. Not in that rose-tinted, candle-lit glow of a baby brought into the temple. But it will be seen most luminously in the inglorious flesh of the criminal who hung on a tree on a Friday afternoon. Is it any wonder that our culture finds it so much easier to look back to the baby rather than to look forward to the cross? But what Simeon and Anna recognized on that day in the temple in the arms of that vulnerable couple was a light to illuminate the whole world. A light that illuminates everywhere and nowhere and no one is beyond its reach. Its ability to bring transformation and love and searing honesty of a forgiveness and of an embrace of love to bring us home 
back to him. The light holds both birth and death, as well as healing and miracle and parable and passion and death and resurrection and ascension. The light holds you as a church community. The light holds our church at an anxious time. The light holds each of you to be baptized and confirmed today. The light illuminates the path of our discipleship. So why? Why do we follow in this light? Why carry this light into the world? In the end, it's about truth, about seeing things as they really, truly are. Just as Simeon had this enlightened moment at the end of his life, you can see him in the text as if he's almost visibly relaxing, as he, he suddenly realizes that he has glimpsed salvation. He sees now that the end of things will bring a wholeness of things. That in Jesus, the the contradictions of life will be revealed and then finally and gloriously resolved. In him, in Jesus, the light of the world, the pains of life, begin to be healed. In him, we begin to be re-knitted together as God created us to be. Whether you've left your country of birth and desperately miss family and friends and culture, whether you're overcome by grief and of loss, like that young couple with their cardboard box, or lost in the darkness of an illness you don't seem to be able to climb out of. To those who face unbelievable personal challenges, God whispers, there is a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. To those who are simply overwrought with daily pressures of work or lack of work, Jesus whispers, come to me and I will give you rest. For those who are lonely or feel unloved, God whispers, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Outside the rather uh, tatty 7 to 11 convenience store was a park bench on which the local, some local people would gather each day for companionship and company and to drink cheap cider. And they sat there most of the day just sitting. And one afternoon, 
a young man went into the convenience store to get some things that he needed to get and he came out and he saw across the way the, the park bench and went over and sat down at the last space at the end of the bench. And soon struck up a conversation. What do you do, said uh, one of the guys on the bench. Well, I used to be a carpenter. In fact, my dad was a carpenter and I just followed in his trade. In fact, it was kind of in the blood because all through my growing up, I just worked and played and helped my dad in the workshop. But now I'm going to change my job. I've decided I, I want to be a shepherd. Shepherd? Said the guy on the bench. Why, why on earth do you want to be a shepherd? Well, you know, it's, it's difficult to say really, but it involves you being by the still waters and when someone's gone missing, you... You go after the sheep and you bring it back to the, the 99. Well said, the guy on the bench. If you're going to do that kind of work, you, you, you better have a swig of this. And the young man uh, reached into his bag and he took out a loaf of bread. He said, I, I can't have um, a swig of that without giving you a bit of this. And he broke it and passed it along. And another one of the guys on the bench who remained silent the whole time got out of his pocket his lighter and he just flicked it open. Well, perhaps we all need this to guide our way, he said. Come and see. Take and eat. Live this life that God is calling you to as those of you who have been confirmed and baptized today. Walk in that light all the days of your life. And may it bring to you the greatest joy as God in Jesus illuminates your path.